Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. In Sydney, there's a Facebook group called Inner West Mums. It's a place where mums share their stories and ask questions about everything from nappy rash to relationship problems. And there's one post I have seen pop up all the time over the years. Different protagonists, different situations, same question. My husband is a good man, but I don't love him anymore. Should I stay or should I go? Holly Wainwright is the head of content at Mamma Mia and the author of I Give My Marriage a Year. At the heart of the novel is this question that many married people ask, and probably people who aren't married, but just in long-term relationships. Is my marriage worth saving? Holly, welcome to Think Play Love. Oh, thanks for having me. And congratulations. It's an awesome book. Oh, thank you. Um, but I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> the first, of course, we need to clear the air. Because I'm sure you're being asked a lot now. How is your marriage going, Holly? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I am one of those people. I'm not married, right? Oh, you're not married. No, so I'm one of those people you Ooh, just referred to. Just, just I living know. in sin. So my partner Brent and I have been together for 15 years, uh-huh. but not married. We right. are those people, right? And <laughs> I don't really think that makes a difference, but maybe it does because I'm not married, so I wouldn't know, right? But <laughs> when I first knew I wanted to write this book, I told my co-host on this glorious mess about it, Andrew Daddo, and he said to me, be very careful. He said, writing about a relationship in trouble is going to put your relationship in trouble. <laughs> and I was like, nonsense, of course it's not. And look, I'm, I think I'm very fortunate as a writer to have a spouse like Brent because he's very supportive and he doesn't think any of it's about him. So, <laughs> Let's just keep it that way. <laughs> My husband's the opposite. I mean, no, he's supportive, but he thinks everything is about him. So... Uh, my relationship is doing okay on the other side of this book. Thanks for asking. And um, what inspired you to write it? I mean, I did mention it's a question you hear a lot of people grappling with. It is a big undertaking, though, if it's not your own lived experience. Mm. Why did you decide to write about it? So it's around me, obviously, as you were just saying about that post in the Facebook group. That is around me in my world a lot. And I have a little bit of a theory that women are allowed to ask that question now when maybe they weren't. Maybe 10, 20 years ago they weren't really. Um, I know a lot of women who are around 40-ish. Actually, Lou in the book is a little bit younger than that, but are around that age and they're going, is this it? Um, they are, I think maybe we used to think the midlife crisis, which is such a cliche, but was very much the preserve of a man to be like, maybe I need to start going out with a 24 year old aerobics (laughs) instructor. Maybe I need a fast car. Maybe I need a new job. Maybe I need to throw my career in and do, I, I see women all around me doing that now, not necessarily the throwing it in stuff, but the questioning, like we've been together a long time, but there's a long time to go. And are we still on the same page? And is this still what we both want? And I was really, what I really wanted to do was to be able to paint a portrait of a long-term relationship where it's not that necessarily one of them has 
done something terrible. They've kind of both done some things, but that there isn't a really clear kind of goody and baddie in this situation because in most of my experience of relationship breakups, it's rarely that black and white. But sometimes somebody you can sympathize with one side and sometimes you sympathize with the other, depending on whose side of the story you're hearing. And I kind of wanted to paint a portrait of that stage in a long-term relationship where a lot of things have happened. Can you survive them? Can they make you stronger? Is it better to just start again? That's Mm. what I wanted to explore. And it's so interesting because the other part I wonder about this is um, how much of the more banal bits of your own marriage did you include? (laughs) Because like you say, when you've been with someone for 15 years, there are those moments when you're sitting on the lounge and they're eating pistachio nuts. (laughs) You're not saying I've had this experience. (laughs) And all of a sudden you're like... Do you have to chew so loudly? Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, there are obviously there's lots that goes into a marriage. But did you draw on those things that I guess you, you just have to experience when you've been with someone for a long time? Oh, yes. I think I'm very familiar, as anybody in a long-term relationship would be, I'm very familiar with those waves of kind of small irritation and, <laughs> and the larger ones. And, and the fact that, you know, I think that when you are in a long-term relationship, whatever its structure, you can have good days, bad days, but in a long relationship, you can have good years and bad years and good months. And, and I think that that idea of when you decide that this is over is really interesting. And mm. I think probably a lot of that depends on what kind of person you are. Are you somebody who's very definitive or are you somebody who thinks, well, wait and see, or you someone, I can't deal with this anymore. You know, I think that, so I, I'm always really interested in that. How do people decide? Mm. And that's what I wanted to explore in this book. And of course, um, we won't give too much away, but um, it does go through a year of her, basically count Lou, the main character, counting down to the ultimate decision. And so she's got these little tests and things that she goes through. Um, what I find really intriguing about it is that with each month and each test, you show it from both perspectives. So from her perspective and from his perspective. And I can appreciate why you would have such great insight into women, being a woman yourself, (laughs) being a part of a, a media empire that is all about women. But I'm really curious about how you got into his head. And I just wanted to read this part from the book where basically her partner, her husband, has put a nail through his finger and the kids are very young and he's been trying to do the deck up for her. Josh thought about the moment before he drove the nail through his forefinger. He'd been thinking about how little he was feeling these days, how since they'd moved into the new home, he'd opted out of expressing his opinions on a whole range of things that he and Lou used to talk about all the time. He moved through the shiny rooms in the new house like a visitor, trying not to upset things, order, routine, rows of ornamental owls, and it was one of the things he'd been thinking about today as he stomped the boards down. Was this what all men felt when children came? Was this what his dad had felt, silenced? Was that where his rages had come from? And just that row, that, that sentence about being silenced is such a profound kind of insight I can imagine men feeling. Um, where do you get that from? Look, I think... It's true that, I, I mean, I live and work around a lot of women, really. I mean, I live with Brent, obviously, <laughs> but I have a lot of female friends and I li- work in an almost all-female environment. But the men that I know and love and am close to 
I don't really see them as an entirely other species. That's not ever really my position. I think that we all have a lot more in common than we think we do often. And I've seen this play out in a lot of heterosexual relationships, including my own, I guess, at times. When children come along, how the dynamic just shifts so dramatically. And very often it shifts in the direction of the the woman and the children becoming a unit and you're almost a bit part player. Now, that isn't actually the experience in my house. I have a very involved partner. He does more than 50% of the childcare and so on because I guess my job is is a bit um, more demanding. Um, But I see it all the time. And I think you read about and talk to men who are in crisis of various degrees about not having anywhere to express themselves. Um, They lose friends more readily as they move into middle age than women do. Their roles these days are possibly murkier than they used to be, so more clearly defined. So Josh, who's the character in the book, who I, like, I love him. Like, I love them both because you do when you're writing a book. But he's a really, he is a good man, as to the Facebook post that you you mentioned at the at the front of this conversation. But he's a bit lost. He, he's found himself along the last few years just all the things he thought he was going to do haven't quite worked out that way and nothing's terribly wrong but something's not right and he knows there's something not right with his wife and how many men do you know who are really surprised when the wife or their partner or their girlfriend turns around and says this isn't working and they're like what what you know like (laughs) they're a bit blindsided by it and I think Josh is that type of a man is that he can sense that something's not right but he wouldn't necessarily be the one to raise it and bring it up and try and fix it because he also quite likes things the way they are you know um so I think I kind of based Josh on a lot of good men I know I didn't want to paint it that he was useless or awful or anything like that I wanted to paint him as somebody who really wanted to keep the family unit together but was just a bit stuck Mm. that um equation about once children come along of course as I mentioned both perspectives so you talk obviously have a lot of lose thoughts about how things change after kids and um I think there's a moment that probably every woman who's had children will relate to, and that's after one of the Christmas dinners <laughs> where she recollects how she's I, – I can't – I think there was one line where she said something about she used to buy presents for his sister or something like that, and he was like, oh, I don't need you to do that. And she said, She's like, you wouldn't even know that I did it. But, you know, he, he, she wouldn't care if you didn't do that. He's saying, <laughs> yes, she and she's would. Like, yes, she would. She would really care. You know, I mean, again, how many women do you know who keep all of that afloat? And, you know, it's Christmas Day and he thinks they're both having a great time and everybody's having a great time. But actually, she hasn't stopped since the minute her eyes opened. And he's the one mixing up exotic cocktails for her brother. <laughs> and, you know, and she's going, oh, my God, who's going to do clear up this mess? And no one's even bought her a present. You know, she's just kind of been erased from that picture. And I, I guess that's that's the Christmas before she decides that they that something has to change and she's going to give it a year. But again, I these are situations I see all around me often where there's this invisible work, life, load, pressure that the woman is often carrying in that situation that would completely blindside the guy. He wouldn't look, what do you, oh, you, you mean this is, oh, oh, you know, this yes. kind of surprise that this didn't, this food didn't all just appear. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Nana knows she's coming at this time and Auntie so-and-so at that time, like that didn't all just happen. <laughs> you know, I, I think that that's uh, very common, very common. And dynamic. that idea as well about, um, one of the things that she does is 
she becomes a very house proud woman. And I, <laughs> I was thinking about this myself over the weekend <laughs> as I was picking up everybody's clothes from the floor. And I know, like you, you set the story, um, the novel has a lot of flashbacks, but you start at the very beginning when they first met and they were young and in Newtown in Sydney, which is a very kind of um, grungy part of the city and how they had these great dreams and this great love. And I was one of the messiest people I know when I was a kid. Like my best friend still, we shared a house and she's like, I still can't believe you never cleaned the toilet. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It's not the case now. Um, but when I'm at home with my family, I find myself cleaning all the time. Even when I know that my husband's doesn't care, there's this thing in me that I feel like a clean home is like the equivalent of a safe home. And I'm not mm. talking about mopping the floors. I just mean not having crap everywhere. Um, and I find that a really um, poignant part of your book that she's kind of moved into this house proud woman and he is baffled and yeah. she's frustrated because she's like you have a beautiful home because I make it beautiful and he's like well I don't need it beautiful yeah, anyway. I don't care if it's beautiful or not and and he's just like who is this person who suddenly cares about this you weren't that person who used to care about this that's something else that is so common in relationships all around you like when if you're with somebody for 15 20 years they're going to change right they're going to change and there's no question that obviously children and, and all those things are going to push a, a, a woman to change probably in different directions. And I don't know how much of it is free will and how much of it is just our internalized value system that it is important somehow that we have a nice house and that the, that, you know, that the ornamental owls are not <laughs> too dusty and that she's got a distressed ladder for her towels and all that kind of stuff. Like it becomes really important to a lot of women as a, as an, a kind of marker of, I'm doing okay, I've got things together, I'm not failing my family. And the other thing for Lou in this book is that her mother, her mother is a very kind of stitched up house proud person, possibly not for all the right reasons. And Lou is beginning to realise as she gets older that she's more like her than she thought. And that's another thing I think that happens to us as we get older, as we go, oh my God, all those things that I rebelled against and thought were so awful that I'm like that too. And I think <laughs> that that's a dawning reality. Um, but yes, I I had a lot of fun writing those chapters about their early life and their early relationship and the bedsits in Redfern and stuff because it's just, it, well, it took me back to a certain time. But also that's how relationships begin, don't they? They begin with that they're just so into each other, these two. And then 15 years later, it's like, where do those people still exist? Like, are they still in there somewhere and can we dig them up or do we just have to accept that they've evolved? And uh, yeah, that, those were the things I really wanted to explore. Well, I really enjoyed the book. My, my last question, and again, we're not going to give it away, but I do want to know, did you know at the <laughs> beginning of the book how it would end? So uh, <laughs> I told my publisher that I did. <laughs> She said, uh, my publisher said, so you know what happens, right? Do they stay together or not? And I was like, yes, I definitely know what happens, but I didn't really know what happened. Um, I often find that when my own personal process, if or that sounds like such a wanky word, but is um, I discover a lot as I'm going. So, I mean, there's a, there's a certain amount of it that's mapped out. I knew I wanted this to happen and that to happen. And I, um, but I, yeah, the, the ending kind of revealed itself to me as I went and what I have discovered from the few people who've read it, because at the time we're talking, it's not on general release yet, 
is that how you feel about the ending depends very much on your own experience. That's All what right. I've discovered. How interesting. Well, we'll have to talk about that when we're off mic. Um, yes. Holly, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. That's Holly Wainwright, author of I Give My Marriage a Year, and the book is out on August 25. There'll be links in the notes of this episode for where you can grab a copy. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.